If you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and open to Matthew chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, help yourself to the one that's in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd be glad to have you take that as our gift. Put your name in it. And more importantly, read it. Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing our journey through this portion of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing teaching that Jesus has given us. If you've been with us for much of this series at all, you may have noticed we have really slowed down our pace as we have reached this portion we call the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, this paradigm that Jesus gave us. And one of the reasons for slowing down is because these words are familiar. And one of the problems with familiar words is we don't always think about them. We don't think very deeply about them. I was thinking about the Pledge of Allegiance. I don't know how many times I've said the Pledge of Allegiance in my life. Uh, when I grew up, the schools I went to, we said the Pledge like every day. And I, I don't even know uh, when I first actually, I mean, I could recite it, I could say it, said it, said it, said it, said it, said it. And I don't know when I actually ever thought about it. What does this thing actually mean? And maybe the last time you said the Pledge of Allegiance, did you think about the words? Familiar words we tend not to think about very much. But these words, these words we really need to think about. Um, these words that may be very familiar, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on. These are very important words we need to think about because Jesus is teaching us about praying and I really can't think of anything more important, anything more essential to a growing relationship with God than praying. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus today and you want to experience the presence of God in your life, you want to experience the power of God in your life, you want to experience a growing relationship with God, you need to pray. It is an amazing thing to think about that God has chosen to work out his purposes in our lives in response to prayer. God works in our lives in response to prayer. I don't get that. I don't know why God set it up that way, but that I know it's true. Uh, there are many wonderful things that God wants to do in our lives. And many times, not all the time, I mean, there are times when God just does what God's going to do, but so often the things God wants to do in our lives, he does in response to our praying. You take peace, for example. How many of you would like to experience peace in your life? Really, that's all? Come on. <laughs> God wants you to experience peace in your life. Okay, how does that happen? Take a look at Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, interesting word, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's talking about praying. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer with thanksgiving is essential to experiencing peace. If we're not praying, we're not going to have much peace. If we're not praying, we're not growing. 
If we're not praying, we're not experiencing life the way God wants us to. So we need to regularly, we need to intentionally, humbly, like children, come to our Heavenly Father and experience the privilege of relating to Him and relying on Him in prayer. That's what Jesus is telling us to do here in Matthew 6, and it's why we need to slow down and think through these really important words, even if we're familiar with them. So, Matthew 6, beginning at verse 9, 9 through 13, Jesus says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to focus on verse 10 this time, which contains the second and third requests. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And these two requests are very closely related. They're very tied up with one another. Because, think about it, wherever God's will is done, there his kingdom has come, at least, at least in a partial sense. Now, earlier in the same book of Matthew, Jesus had announced the coming of God's kingdom, that God's kingdom had come near. In chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus said, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the reason the kingdom of heaven was at hand was because the king himself was at hand. Jesus had come near, so the kingdom had come near. But now here, in this prayer that he's teaching us to pray, teaching us how to pray, he says, pray, Father, your kingdom come. So he's making it evident that the fullest expression of God's kingdom is still future. It is still to come. Jesus came the first time to reveal God in all of his fullness to us and to, to die on a cross and rise from the dead to redeem us, to inaugurate his kingdom, to get the kingdom going. But he promised he's going to come again. And he's going to rid the world of all evil. And he's going to make, make right every wrong. And he is going to give everlasting joy to all those who trust in him. Yes, amen. Second Peter 3.13, look at it. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I can't wait. I can't wait to live in that kingdom, that fullness of the kingdom. But that doesn't mean we, shouldn't, we should not wait until then to honor Jesus as king. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're not talking just about the full-blown expression of the kingdom. We're talking about living as part of the kingdom, as members of his kingdom right now. In fact, there's, that's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus teaching us 
how to live as members of God's kingdom right now. And so that's why, in addition to praying your kingdom come, we're also praying your will be done. Your will be done, because there's a very real sense, wherever God's will is being done, there there his kingdom has come. Even if it's just the, the tiniest little glimmer of the glory that's still to come. So I want to focus in on that part of the request. Your will be done. I want to think about that. What, what are we praying for when we pray that? Think about that. See, when we're asking, your will be done, aren't we asking that God's will might be done in our lives? I mean, if I pray, Father, your will be done, I, I'm praying that, that he will so work in my life that his will is accomplished in me and that I'm experiencing what it means to be a part of his kingdom. So what does that look like? What does it look like? What are we really praying for when we pray your will be done? Well, here's one thing. We are praying for a growing contentment with God's plan. A growing contentment with God's plan. That we will grow more and more content with God's plan. Your will be done. That's one of the things that the Bible means by God's will. God's will is this huge thing. And there's different nuances and senses of it that we see in the Bible. But one of the things it means is God's ultimate plan for everything. God's will. The whole universe including you, and everything in it. You see this in Ephesians 1.11. Notice it says, In Christ, in Him, we, he's talking to believers in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, look at this, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. That's God's plan for everything, and you're part of that. So when I pray, your will be done, I am affirming that God has a plan. And I'm affirming that God's plan is good, and that I'm accepting that plan, and I'm wanting that plan to be done. Instead of my plan for my life, I'm accepting God's plan for my life. And that's very important. If you want to experience God's peace in your life, if you want to experience God's peace, you want to experience His purpose, you've got to accept God's plan for your life. Now, your first reaction, well, of course. But think about it, because that includes something very difficult. It includes accepting those parts of life that you can't change. And there are a lot of those things in your life. Have you ever thought about how many things you can't change? I'm not talking about looking in the mirror and going, oh, man. (laughs) You didn't choose where you'd be born. You didn't choose who your parents would be. You didn't choose where you'd grow up. You didn't choose your culture, your ethnic background. And you don't get to choose what other people do to you. Now, of course, if there are things in your life that ought to change, 
And you can change them by all means. Change them. But what about all those things you can't change? How do you have peace when you're just frustrated with the things you can't change? These things you want to change and you can't. What do you do to have peace? How about worrying? Does that bring peace? I'm going to worry about the things I can't change. No, that doesn't work. How about resentment? I'm going to really resent these things I can't change. Will that bring peace? How about the things that you've even been a part of that you regret doing? You wish you hadn't done that. You wish you could go back in the past and change it. And so you just live with regret and remorse and guilt. Does that bring peace? No. How about a pity party? I'll feel sorry for myself about the things I can't change. Is that going to work? Is that going to bring you peace? Uh, There's only one thing. There's only one thing that brings peace when there are things you can't change, and that's acceptance. Acceptance. I've just got to accept God's plan for my life and say, your will be done. Somebody who understood this was the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, this is so interesting. Paul says this in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I'd feel so much more comfortable with the Bible if there it said, in most situations. In any and every situation, well, what, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. You know what's so amazing about this passage? Paul wrote this when he was in prison. Here he is, he's chained to a guard in a prison cell, and he's saying, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, if you read the story, if you go in Acts and you read about Paul getting arrested and tried and all of these things, and it was very unfair, and he did everything he could legitimately to change his situation, and he couldn't. He couldn't change it. And so ultimately he said, must be God's plan. I'll just accept it. Contentment. Your will be done means I accept, I accept my Father's my Father in Heaven's plan, even when I don't understand it. And this is so important because one of the biggest obstacles to contentment in our lives is demanding an explanation. We want to know why. And anytime we ask why, I've done it, you do it, we all do it. Anytime we ask why, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment, for discontentment, even for bitterness. Why is that? Because we're probably not going to get an explanation. I mentioned this last time. But we're probably not going to get an explanation for why this is happening. I'll give you three reasons why. First reason why we might not get, probably won't get an explanation is because God doesn't owe us an explanation. God does not owe us an explanation. God is God. We are not. Well, that's important to remember and easy to forget. God's God. He doesn't doesn't have to explain to us why he does anything. You know, it is so amazingly gracious of God to explain to us as much as he has in his word. But he doesn't owe us that explanation. We report to him. He doesn't report to us. 
We're not saying, okay, God, let's have an explanation here for why you're doing what you're doing. (laughs) It's the other way around. He doesn't owe us anything. He's God. Second reason we're probably not going to get an explanation is because we wouldn't understand the explanation if he gave it to us. We ask why, like if God told us, we'd go, oh, okay, I get it. Good call, God. All right, way to go. Oh, I get it now. No, you don't. No, I don't. There are so many different ways that everything affects everything else. Yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, that illustration or that picture of throwing a pebble in a, in a pond and all the ripples. And we say, look, one little pebble that created all of these different effects. But you realize every moment of every day, it's not just one pebble going in the pond. It's truckloads of pebbles going in the pond. And the ripples are going everywhere. And we can't even begin to fit it all together and understand all the effects. Let me give you just one illustration. Let's say there's a youth ministry intern, and he's planning a big event, a big outreach to teens. And he's praying hard because it's going to be outside. He's praying for really nice, sunny, warm weather. You know, it's a water thing, and, and he's got a band coming, and he's got this really great speaker who's just really good at just talking to teens and sharing the gospel. So he wants the gospel. He wants these teens to hear the gospel. He wants, you know, the, the believing kids to bring their friends who don't know Jesus and share Jesus with them. He's just praying, God, please let it be sunny. And over here outside of town is a farmer. And he's praying, God, please let it rain. My crops are dying. And he's a, he's a godly man. And he wants his crops to grow and to sell well, not just so he can feed his family, but because he gives a lot of his money away to missions, to the, to the furthering of the gospel, the good news of Jesus being spread throughout the world. God, please let it rain. God, please let it be sunny. What's God going to do? And that's just two people. You know what God's going to do? He's going to do what's best for the accomplishment of his eternal purposes. See, we don't think like that. We don't think about the eternal purpose. We think about what's happening to me and how it affects me. It's not about us. He'll work out his eternal purposes whether we understand it or not. And the third reason we're probably not going to get an explanation is because, really, explanations are not what we need. Explanations rarely comfort us. Now, maybe some of you have had painful things in your past, and perhaps through reading or counsel or conversation with friends, you have come to a place where maybe you figured out why certain things happened. Did that comfort you? Maybe a little. Okay, I understand what happened. But it didn't relieve your pain, did it? It didn't make it not hurt. God, instead of offering us an explanation, offers us himself. What we really need when we're in pain is not an explanation. We need God's presence. Which is why, by the way, when someone you know really experiences a catastrophe and you think, I I don't know what to say, that doesn't matter. Because what you say really is not the issue. What they need is your presence. They need you to show them the presence of God and experience it. And Jesus promised to those who trust him, I am with you always. Remember what his name was called when his birth was predicted, Christmas story, Emmanuel, God with us.
God with us. God gives us his presence. So when we pray, your will be done, we're saying, I accept God's plan, and I want to be content with God's presence. Now, that's probably not going to happen all at once. Probably not going to be, I pray this once, and damn, I'm, I'm content. Notice that Paul said, I've learned to be content. That's why I said a growing contentment with God's plan. Contentment is a thing we learn as we experience God's presence, as we come to understand his, all of his purposes more and more. We learn contentment as we sincerely pray, your will be done again and again and again, not thoughtlessly, but meaningfully. I accept your plan. And then here's one other thing we're praying for when we pray your will be done. We're praying for a joyful submission to God's leadership. A joyful submission to God's leadership. And we were thinking, well, that sounds like the first point. Contentment with God's plan, submission to God's leadership, what's the difference? Here's what I mean. When I'm talking about God's plan, I'm talking about that big ultimate plan, most of which we don't know. We don't know in advance. We don't know how it all works together. And we just need to be content with God's plan. Here... God's leadership, I'm talking about God's directions for our lives, the things he has told us, his will, how we are to live, what's good, what isn't. And we need to learn to joyfully submit to his directions, his leadership, joyfully. Now, we don't like the word submission. Let's just say it. We don't like that word. It sounds demeaning. It sounds weak. It sounds like we're losing. It sounds like we're just resigning ourselves to somebody just, you know, stomping all over us. But I think I've learned that a lot of what we don't like about submission is is from ignorance. We don't really understand submission very well. True submission, as the Bible defines it, is not weak, it's not uh, demeaning, and it's not losing. So here's my definition of submission based on what the Bible teaches. Submission is doing your best giving your best to help a leader succeed as God defines success. It's putting yourself at a, at a leader's disposal, enthusiastically seeking to accomplish their success as a leader as God defines success. So in a given situation, someone has the responsibility to lead, and if it's not you, then your job is to help that leader succeed with your best efforts. And that's true at work, That's true in a home, that's true in a church, and it's true in our relationship with God. Now, when it comes to God, we're not actually helping him succeed like he needs our help, but submission is enthusiastically cooperating with his directions and his guidance and his leading. The trouble comes when we forget that, or we choose to ignore it, that God is always the leader and he's always wise, he's always good. And we forget that and we think we'd rather lead our lives ourselves because that always works out so well when we do that. That was irony. So Jesus is telling us to pray, Father, your will be done, because he knows that only God is qualified to lead our lives. Only God can bring about what's best in our lives. Only he can do it. Only he knows what's best, and he's told us. And Jesus knows we have this stubborn tendency to think we know better, so he says, you need to keep praying, Father, your will be done. Your will be done. Your directions. Every morning you get up, you have a decision to make. 
Who's going to run your life today? You or God? Whose agenda are you going to follow? Yours or God's? Who's going to call the shots? You or God? Is it going to be thy will be done or my will be done? Sometimes we think we know better. We say, yeah, you know, yeah, I know. I know what the Bible teaches. I know what the Bible says I should do, but eh, I think I've got a better idea here. Or we think, yeah, okay, yeah, I know. I know that's what the Bible teaches, but, but God wants me to be happy. Anytime you say that, but God wants me to be happy, look out. Look out, because it means you're probably trying to justify doing something that you know God doesn't want you to do. That's why you use the word but. I want to do this, and I know God doesn't want me to do it, but God wants me to be happy. Probably just trying to justify something God, you know God doesn't want you to do. We have an amazing capacity to rationalize whatever we want to do. It is amazing how we can rationalize just about anything. And I love what Rick Warren says about rationalize. Rationalize means rational lies. <laughs> we tell ourselves lies to justify doing what we know deep down inside we shouldn't do. But God wants me to be happy. You know what? I think that's true. I think God does want you to be happy. I think he wants me to be happy. But we're never going to be happy doing it our way instead of his way. Never. We won't be happy unless we trust him enough to do it his way and follow his directions. And this is a huge cause of stress. If you're trying to rationalize doing things your way instead of God's way, the reason you're in turmoil is because you're at war with God. Bad idea. Whenever you fight God and say, I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what you think, God, you're not going to have peace. You're not going to have contentment. You're going to have stress. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have depression. You're going to have everything but peace. Are you fighting God about something? That's going to keep you in turmoil. That's going to keep you from experiencing the love and peace God wants to give to you. Stop fighting. Start trusting Say, Father, your will be done. I accept your plan, and I submit to your directions, your, your leadership. You'll notice I included the word joyful here with submission. might sound like a contradiction in terms. Joyful submission. Wait, what? Wait, if I'm submitting, that means I'm giving up my way, and I can't be joyful giving up my way. That is such a terrible misunderstanding. Joy is not this superficial thing that comes when I get my way. Let me show you this. Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, out before Him, did what? Endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross for joy. Did that make the cross a happy experience? No. In fact, the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed that he might be spared the agony of the cross. He said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He's picturing the whole crucifixion experience as a bitter cup to drink. Father, if you're willing, take this from me. 
but not my will, but yours be done. Was that a joyful prayer? I don't think he was smiling when he said it. But according to God's word in Hebrews 12 too, that was a prayer motivated by joy. By the joy set before him. Jesus knew in the core of his being that his Father's will was the only thing that would bring the satisfaction of his deepest longing for joy. When all was said and done, he would be glad, glad that he had submitted to his Father's will. And the same is true for us. Yeah, God's directions, when you read them, you might think, well, that's going to bring about some pain. That's going to hurt. That's going to be tough. But there's joy. Joy is the outcome when we say, your will be done. Your will be done. Joy doesn't come from getting our way. It comes from getting God's will, from God's will being done in our lives. You know, Jesus prayed, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. How's God's will done in heaven? Well, it's done now, not later. It's done completely, not partially. And it's done enthusiastically, joyfully, not grudgingly, not dutifully. We need to learn to submit with joy to our Father's leadership in our lives because it's going to be good for us. And so we pray, Father, your will be done. Where in your life do you need to accept God's plan to experience contentment? Where in your life do you need to submit to God's directions, what you know God wants you to do, and pursue joy? I don't know what it is, but you know, and God knows. If you're here today and you have not yet put your trust in Christ to forgive you, make you right with God, that's where it all starts. That's where we begin to say, Father, your will be done, because it's the Father's will that we trust the Son and receive life, the gift of life from Him. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified means to be made right with God. How does that happen? Faith. When we put our trust in Jesus to make us right with God. You'll never have peace. You can't have the peace of God until you make peace with God. And Jesus did it all. We just need to trust Him. And if you want to talk about that, I would love to talk about that with you. Or talk to the person you came with. It all begins. God's will is for you to put your trust in Christ alone to make you right with Him. And then if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've resented some unchangeable things that have brought you pain, if you've been asking for an explanation and it's not coming, if you've been fighting with God over something that you know He wants you to do, you don't want to do it, I invite you today to pray, Father, Your will be done. I want to accept your plan to experience contentment, and I want to submit joyfully to your leadership because it's going to be good. Let's pray. And I'm going to just be quiet for a minute and give you an opportunity to pray that prayer, whatever it looks like in your life, whatever it is you need to just come to peace with God about accepting His plan, accepting the things you can't change, laying down your weapons, saying, I'm not going to fight you, Lord. I'm going to do it your way because I want joy. Father, your will be done. You pray that even as I do.
Father, your plan is so much greater than our feeble little minds can wrap around. I I just can't begin to think about how you work it all out. You said for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose, you work all things together for good. So Lord, I come today and I come with these people to say, may your will be done. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be done in my life as it is in heaven right now, fully and enthusiastically. May your will be done in our lives and in this church and in this community that your kingdom might come. We pray in Jesus' name.